I'm in a little bind this morning. We've got um, three verses remaining in this passage before we move on to our uh, our next portion of Scripture in this study. And I've got six messages in my hand from, from these three verses. And I honestly, uh, nobody but... But one person right up here in the front wants to hear all six of them this morning. But I, I, I really, I wish I'd give you all six this morning because I know, I know it's just that for whatever reason, we don't have as, as good a turnout on Sunday night. We don't have as good a, a reason, uh, whatever reason, we don't have a good a turnout midweek. I get that. So many people working and, and have jobs. I understand that. But, but honestly, this material has helped me so much and I've just, re- I've wrestled all Morning with which ones are going to be? We'll just stick with the stick with it in in order. But I tell you, this, it's just all helpful to me. Okay, the Bible says, let's let's read our passage together. First Corinthians ten, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be normal, <laughs> ignorant. How that all our father see that wasn't nice. But most people you work with ignore the Bible, and most people in your neighborhood ignore the Bible. And the Lord said, I don't want you ignorant. I don't want you ignoring these things. How that all our fathers went to the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Man, they got it good. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Baptized unto Moses. Egypt in the rear view. It'll never, never catch up to them. They're, they're on the way to the promised land. Manna falling from heaven morning to night. And, and the water from the rock. Jesus Christ right there with them. In, as that says that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are, were our examples. Each one is an example to the intent. We should not lust after evil things. They also lusted. We saw we're all capable of that. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them. And as is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. We saw we're all capable of that. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed. And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. We saw we're all capable of that. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. We, we still have that to consider in a future day. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed, or the, destroyed and we considered that. Now, all these things combined happen unto them for ensamples. That's the plural form of the word example. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Father, help us this morning. To honor you by believing your holy word. Help us, Lord God, to set aside whatever uh, things uh, would try to distract us and, and occupy our thoughts for these next few moments. And help us, Lord, to benefit from the truth of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's really sad that we ha- this collection of failures on the part of God's people from Old Testament times, it's really sad that God has so many events to which He can point when showing us people so richly blessed who chose to take the wrong course of action. 
And in every case, it was a choice. None of these matters were forced upon them. We're blessed to be able to learn from the victories and triumphs of men who acted righteously, and we're wise to gain from the instruction of those who fell into error. It's foolhardy to take a fall, but it's far worse to watch someone else fall and repeat their mistake. We all have some hope that the Lord will use us in the lives of others, and Let's pray He doesn't use us as a warning in the lives of others. I'd rather God be able to point to my life and say, you know, you ought to, you ought to live like that man. Rather than God point to me and say, whatever you do, don't do that. These people we read about in this passage are examples. But the verse at hand, verse 11, does not say that These things were written down to bring additional shame upon those who fell prey to their lusts. Rather, the Holy Spirit selected these events to admonish us. That's a great truth, a great word. To admonish is to warn or notify of a fault. It's not specified here if the fault is in them or in us. And the reason it's not specified is because the correct answer is both. Where they were faulty, we are faulty. Where they were defective, we are defective. Where they fell, we can fall. Where they triumphed, we can triumph. The issue is not whether or not I'm strong enough. I'm not. The issue is not whether or not you are you are man enough or woman enough or, or sincere enough That's not the issue. The issue is, will I obey and yield myself to the all-powerful God, or will I trust my imperfect flesh? That's, that's, that's the consideration. Should we choose to heed the words of the Lord, though we possess the same miserable flesh that these people did, We may deal with our shortcomings victoriously by taking such a mild word of warning. There doesn't have to be serpents in my life. There, there don't have to be death tolls in my life. There doesn't have to be decades of wilderness wandering in my life. Look, look at the opportunity we have. Just learn from their mistakes. And there's no reason you'll have to learn and suffer from your own mistakes. God's so good to us. To be told that my heart is untrustworthy, as untrustworthy as those hearts in the wilderness rebels, is a reproof, but what a mild and gracious reproof. I don't have to wake up with a bed full of rattlesnakes. I can just read these verses and say, okay, Lord, then what do I do? So it's a real blessing. To admonish is to counsel against wrong practices. And here the one whose name is the mighty counselor appeals to our reason, our will, our intellect, our hearts, and advises us to be cautious, lest we repeat the mistakes of, of these children. I, I, I really believe that for many of us, 
we had, we had this idea, well, well, if I just get saved, and, and so you got saved, what a blessing. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been baptized, what a blessing to take that first great step of obedience. The Lord is so good to me, He's, he's providing for my every need. How wonderful that is. And we just we somehow have this idea that because I've done those things, I don't have to deal with this flesh. And the Lord, look, if all we had to do was get saved and baptized, God would have given us a gospel tract, not a Bible. He gave us this whole great big Bible because He wants to teach us how to live. Now that we have life, how do we, how do we manage that life? Okay, here's the phrase we're going to look at this morning. These things, verse 11, happened unto them, don't have to happen to us, for in samples... And they are written, thank God we've got the written word, the Holy Bible, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we're going to do a little Bible study this morning and try to figure out what in the world my life has to do with the ends of the world. What does your life have to do with the ends of the world? That's a fair question and worthy of our consideration. Look in uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. You know, it's an odd thing to say to people who are 2,000 years or more from the Lord's return, and another 1,000 years from the renovation, creating a new heavens and a new earth. Think about this. When, when 1 Corinthians 10 was written, a church at Corinth got that letter, and they read that letter. And that letter said, the ends of the world are come on you. And that's 2,000 years ago. And there's another 1,000 years to go before this old earth gets, gets destroyed by fire and God makes a new one. So what in the world is he talking about? Could the Bible have been wrong? Well, let's see. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. The Bible says in verse... 38, the field is the world, the good seed of the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun of the kingdom of their Father. Well, that's interesting information about the end of the world. The Lord comes back, and He will. And the angels come with Him, and they will. And they gather all the wicked and and throw them out, because they didn't want to be part of God's kingdom. And and that will happen, and the righteous shall reign with Him. Jesus said that will happen in the end of the world. Well, let's look at another verse. Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. And verse number 3, Jesus with his disciples. Uh, Verse 1, he went out, departed from the temple. Disciples are looking at the buildings. Verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence, earthquakes and diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus said, that's not the end of, end of the world. That's just what people do to each other. That's just what sin does. Then he says, regarding this end of the world, verse number uh, 20, uh, 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 29, For immediately after the tribulation those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heaven to the other. Verse 35, heaven earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Here we see it again. The end of the world. Jesus Christ comes back and he establishes a kingdom of righteousness upon this earth. Hallelujah. But you know something? Those people who got that letter at Corinth lived and died and that didn't happen. And their children lived and died and that didn't happen. Their grandchildren lived and died and that didn't happen. hundred years went by. Five hundred, a thousand, fifty, two thousand years have gone by and that didn't happen. And yet, 1 Corinthians 10 says to you, to me as we read it today, we need to heed the word of God and not give in to the lust of our flesh because the ends of the world have come upon us. We're getting more confused by the minute. It's for us, but it's not for us. It it speaks to us, but it doesn't speak to us. Come on, preacher, help me out. Not yet. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Verse number 19. Let's start at 18. Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now what a blessing. Whether you take this to mean those disciples to the end of their lives, each individual disciple is to the, to the end of his or her life, or the, the church as a whole to the, to the end of these things till they've run their course. What, whatever the case might be, Jesus said, come what may. Between now and the time the world ends, I will not abandon, I will not forsake, I will not cease to care for and to provide for those that follow me. What a blessing. Clearly in these three passages, we could go to the Old Testament, look at Psalm 19.4, we won't do that this morning. We go to the Old Testament, look at Isaiah 62.11, we won't do that this morning. It is clear that the end of the world has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ when he destroys the kingdoms of men, when he rids the earth of all these terrible things that men are doing to each other, and when he sets up his kingdom 
where he enforces righteousness and those that loved him and trusted him and followed him rule and reign with him. That's exactly what five different places describe as the end of the world. And yet none of those has any reference to the passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't need to live right because Jesus Christ is coming to set up His kingdom. He's coming whether I live right or not. I can be thrown in the furnace or rule and reign with Him. I can be, I can be one of His own or I can be one of His enemies. He's going to do these things. My righteousness or lack of righteousness, my good testimony or lousy testimony is not going to alter the promises God has made concerning His work at the end of the world. Well, then you got to offer me something else, preacher. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. Let's see if the Bible says something else about the end of the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 24. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. If you are saved, Jesus is in His Father's presence on your behalf. Nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must He often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered, hallelujah, to bear the sins of many, praise God, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Praise the Lord. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, the Bible calls that the end of the world. How about that? Okay, so let's, let's, let's do this real quick in summary because it's, it's, our sermon this morning is, is going to be on what the verse actually says. But we've got to clear the path through what it doesn't say. God created the heavens and the earth. When man fell into sin, a system was established upon this earth. A way of living, a way of thinking, a way of acting. It involved killing and lying and stealing and murder and thorns and thistles and sweat of the brow and and family troubles and childbirth troubles and funerals and tears. The Bible said when man sinned, God set the world upon the earth. The earth, made by God, is beautiful, it's wonderful. It is not a sinful thing. But the world, the system that operates upon this earth, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now I'll tell you, for 4,000 years, every single person was a part of that world, and they couldn't get out of it. And then one day Jesus Christ came to this earth and He went to the cross of Calvary to establish a new world order. 
If you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be delivered from the world. You can be set apart from the world. You can be taken out of the mass of humanity with all of their sin and all their defilement and be placed into Jesus Christ, be made part of His body, the church, have an eternal home in heaven. Hallelujah! The ability of mankind to escape the world came as a result of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And for anybody and everybody that will trust Him as their Savior, that very day is the end of the world for you. You're not part of it anymore. One day that same Savior is going to come back. And that system of evil and that system of iniquity, He will completely destroy it. He will completely do away with it. That world will end. Now you know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4? It says that Satan is the God of this world. He's not the God of the earth. He's not the God of saved people. He's the one who runs this system. You can't change it, but you can get out of it. By trusting Jesus Christ. You can't change it, but one day you'll watch the Lord do away with it when He comes and sets up His kingdom. Now that's a blessing. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament about the end of the world. You say, well then why? That doesn't seem to fit the passage in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't and it can't because we don't read carefully. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter... And I know we don't read carefully because until I read it carefully, I, I was as confused as, as I have made you right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. How many of you believe the Bible? And look, don't raise your hand if you don't. If you don't, don't... don't, don't look, well, what should I do? How many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Okay, how about the words in the Bible are the Word of God? Okay, so each word is the very word that God wanted us to have. Correct? All right, now let's watch this. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. That's the plural of example. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends... The ends... See the S there? Of the world are come. The end of the world was not in view when the Holy Spirit sent this letter to Corinth. The end of the world is not in view when the Holy Spirit has you and me read this letter this morning. My testimony is not connected to Christ dying on the cross. He did that with or without my testimony. My, the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish His kingdom will be done with or without my good testimony. That's not what's in view. What is in view is the ends, plural, of the world. The ends of the world have come somewhere for something. Well, I'm still confused. Alright, you ready? Get Psalm 22 in one hand. And Romans 10 in the other. If I can clear this up for you, it would be a short message and we can all go home and say, well, why didn't you just tell us that last part instead of all the confusing part? Because, well, people drove a long way. You want them to get their money's worth. 
You paid big money to see a baseball game is called because of rain in the third inning, you'd be complaining about it. So, uh, well, say so, yeah, but I want to be there. <laughs> All right, so, so Psalm twenty-two, Psalm twenty-two. Now, now watch this thing. Psalm twenty-two, verse one: My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who said that? Jesus Christ on the cross. So we're looking prophetically at the cross work of Jesus Christ. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? So Christ on the cross, the Bible says in verse number 13, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Remember they ran that spear up in his side and the blood and the water flowed out. Verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. This is, this is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. For what purpose? Verse 30, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Now, look, he dies upon the cross. He suffers on that cross. He sheds his blood. He gives his broken body to pay for our sins. His shed blood to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for sinners. Praise God. And as a result of that, he can have a seed, a generation. People can be born again. Get new life through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But now wait a minute, verse 31. In about 20 short years or 30 short years, there won't be anybody living who saw him die. In fact, out of all the people that were alive on the face of the earth, only a very, very few saw Jesus die and rise again. How is the whole world going to know that Christ died for their sins, somebody's going to have to come and declare it. Everybody see that? How will people know that Jesus rose from the dead? Somebody will have to come and declare it. Everybody see that? And they'll declare what? His righteousness. Not the righteousness of your idol, or your religion, or your good works, or your self-sacrifice. Somebody is going to have to go to the peoples of this earth and declare to them that the sinless Son of God died upon the cross to pay for sin, suffered like no man has ever suffered, rose from the dead, and can give you new life and new birth if you'll trust Him. Verse 31, unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Hey, you know how come you're saved? Because people just kept doing that. Generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, somebody told somebody else what Jesus did. See that? All right, verse number, verse number 23. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath He hid His face from Him. 
But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. All the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Jesus Christ died upon a cross. The world doesn't know that. The generations to follow don't know that. Somebody's got to go and tell them. But if the people who go and tell them he was righteous and they know him are not righteous... Who would pay any attention to what they had to say? If the people came and told them, sin is a terrible thing, but Jesus came and died for our sin and He took our sin away, and they're living in the same depth of sin as the people they're proclaiming that message to, who would pay any attention to it? Who is this Jesus Christ? Well, verse 23, His people fear Him. His people praise Him. Who is this Jesus Christ? He is one that His people cry out to and call upon. Who is this Jesus Christ? Verse 25, He's one His people praise. Who is this Jesus Christ? Verse 26, He's one in whom His people are satisfied. And a people who trust God and praise God and worship God and are satisfied with God. Go to the ends of the earth and say, look what He can do for you. And when the Hittites saw the Israelites murmuring and complaining about their God, why would they want that God? When the Hivites and the Perizzites heard them moaning and crying at night, I wish we were back in Egypt. Who would want that God? When the Midianites saw them leap at the opportunity to commit fornication against their God, why would they think their God was anything special? And the Bible said, I am admonishing you. Because if you fall into the same error that they did of living after the lust of your flesh, you will so discredit the name of your God that the heathen people round about you will take no heed whatsoever to the message you proclaim. You know what that is? The ends of the world are the people out there who haven't heard. And the ends of the world come and they look and they say, well, well, what do you got? I saw you had that Bible verse on the back of your car. What does that mean? Well, just a minute. Let me get done yelling and screaming at everybody in my house. What does that mean? Let, let me, wait a minute. I got to hide from my bill collectors here. I'll tell you in a minute. When our lives are no different than their lives, and our hearts are no different than their hearts, and our homes are no different than their homes, what we have to say is nullified. If our God has done nothing for us that their God couldn't do for them, why wouldn't they stick with their God? Why would any judge want to hear the gospel? after watching Christians stand before him all day long? Why would any co-worker want to hear the gospel after watching professing Christians loaf all day long like he does? 
Why would any kid in the public school want to hear you tell them Jesus can change your life when you live your whole life trying to be like them? Every Christian holding sin in their hand and saying, what's wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with it, is saying to the Hittites, our God's no better than your God. The ends of the world have come to take a look at the church. And when they come to take a look at the church, they say, well, look at there. Our music must be better than their music. They're trying to get our music in their church. Our clothes must be better than their clothes. They're trying to get our clothes in their church. Our morals must be better than their morals. They're apologizing for theirs and trying to embrace ours. Their God must not mean anything to them. When the world looks at the church and sees the church bending over backwards to try and be like the world, why would they want anything you've got to offer? If you don't like it, why would they like it? If you're bothered by it, why wouldn't they be bothered by it? If you find it annoying, these commandments and these rules, and who would want your God? <laughs> this fellow called me this week. He said, you know, I just... I'm just about to give up on church and all these rules and commandments and God wanting to do this and God wanting to do that. And I said, man, I I don't know what God you know. My God's so smart, I want to do what He says. My God is so good, I want to live a life He's laid out for me. What, What is it in somebody's heart that views the instructions of a holy God as some sort of a burden on their life? Somebody who doesn't trust him. Somebody who resents his suggestion that they know more about it than they do. You want to see it again? That's exactly in the context. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Verse number... Nine. We know these verses. If thou, thou, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know what that is? Verse 8. The word is nigh thee, even thy mouth, and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach. What do we preach? We preach that, that Christ, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what we preach. I hope that's what you preach. That's how that's that's what people got to do to be saved. Verse eleven: For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him should not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Wherever you went, you could preach that same message. No difference. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. That's what we preach. Hope that's what you preach. 14. How then shall they, that's the people in Psalm 22, call on Him in whom they have not believed? So you've got to believe before you call on the Lord. We could get you to call on the Lord, but if you don't believe, we're just fooling everybody. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? Of whom? Not in whom. Of whom? 
Hey, would you pray this prayer and ask Jesus to save you? Who is He? doesn't matter. Just pray the prayer. It does matter. You have to hear of Him. And the Bible says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this whole world out there is dying in their sins and going to hell. And it's up to us to go preach the gospel to them. Tell them who Jesus is, what He did, what He accomplished, and and encourage them to believe that. Fair enough? Alright, verse number 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So, who's the people that go? That's the people with pretty feet. Who's the people that send them? That's the people that buy the shoes for them to travel in. We all work together. Get the gospel out. 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, how would a man in Africa be saved? Somebody who knows Jesus would go and tell him. How would a woman in Peru get saved? Somebody who knows Jesus would go and tell her. How would somebody in in Mongolia be saved? A family that knows Jesus would go and tell them. How would somebody on your job be saved? You would go and tell them. Right? Come on. Now what's that process called by the Holy Spirit? Verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of of the world. You know what the ends of the world are? It's everybody everywhere who hasn't yet heard the gospel. Psalm 22, Old Testament, Romans 18, New Testament, in two clear passages about salvation, the ends of the world are the people who don't know Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Hey, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 1. The world doesn't know that. I've been baptized, verse number 2. The world doesn't know that. God is providing for me every day, verse 3. The world doesn't know that. I'm on my way to a promised land, verse 4. The world doesn't know that. So I'm to go and tell the world about the blood. Tell the world about deliverance. Tell the world about God's provision. Tell the world about that promised land to which I'm bound. Verse 6. And if my life is so wrapped up in the lust of the flesh, why would they listen to anything I had to say? Verse 7. If I cared more about playing on Sunday than church on Sunday? If I took my kids out of a church that put Jesus first because I wanted to find a church that put volleyball or soccer first, why would the world think my God meant anything more than their God? If I went to the world with the gospel but I was a fornicator, 
Oh, is this your husband? No. Well, I thought you were married. I am. Well, is this your wife? Well, not yet. Well, why not? Well, because I hadn't got rid of the one I got yet. Why would the world think your God meant anything? <laughs> My wife, she'll get to go with me. When I go, sometimes when she's not doing any good news clubs, she'll go with me to preach at a church and I'll walk in. People say, oh, is this your wife? Well, it better be. <laughs> Who else would I be traveling with? <laughs> That's such an odd question for, for people to ask. But, but you know something? This world. Listen to me. The reason the people you witness to don't want to get saved is they don't want to quit drinking. They don't want to quit doing drugs. They don't want to quit fornicating. They don't want to quit going the places they're going. And, and then you've got saved people telling them, oh, well, you don't have to stop. I didn't stop those things. You don't have to stop. Well, then what do I need your Jesus for? If he's, no, if he's done nothing more for you than what my God has done for me, I don't need him. Verse number 10. I'm going to witness and tell somebody about Jesus just as soon as I'm done griping about how hard I've got to work on this job and griping about the work conditions and griping about the old lady at home and griping about my kids and griping about my preacher and griping about my church. Why would anybody looking at that desire it? So the Lord said, I'm admonishing you. You might not believe this, but from the moment you associated yourself with Jesus Christ, the world began to watch you. And I'm admonishing you that the ends of the world have come to see if what you have means more to you than what they have means to them. And if they don't see that, you have no testimony. You have no witness. You have words, but they're worse than meaningless. That's quite an admonition. Hebrews. Chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. There's a man, he's retired now, but he he pastored in this county for many, many years. I was preaching a meeting in North Carolina. And the pastor asked, he said, is so-and-so still down in your area? And I said, yeah. He said, let me tell you what happened to me. He said, I became the pastor of this church. I was out knocking on doors one day. He said, a man cussed me like I'd never been cussed before in my life. He said, get off my property, I'm going to hurt you, this and that. He said, I, I said, okay, okay. And he said, I, I walked back down the driveway. I was, I was about to head down the street and I thought, I, I, I'm going back, I'm going back. He went back and knocked on that door and that guy just... I thought I told you. He said, listen, I'm leaving. He said, but I have never seen a man this angry in my life. Would you tell me what's your problem? He said, the pastor whose place you took at that church is in Florida with my wife. He came down here, you know. Got a church and people went because they, they, listen, listen. The gospel that preacher carried to that door 
had the power of God unto salvation, the man living in that house could have believed that gospel and been saved and had eternal life. Why would he listen to it? Well, you know, it's the Word of God, and all that matters is the power of the Word of God. And that's not true. That's not true. Jesus said, you have made the Word of God of none effect by the lives you live and the things you do. Every time a Christian says, I'm going to live contrary to the Word of God, you make it all but impossible for the people who know you to be saved. Because whether you witness to them or not, somebody someday is going to witness to them. And if their point of reference is, is, a, is somebody who lived after the lust of the flesh, not after the Word of God, it's bad business. Bad business. Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I guess we're finished, but we'll, we'll read this together. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. I came in here for a happy Sunday morning sermon. Well, come back tonight. We'll have a happy Sunday night sermon. You don't want your neighbors seeing you so unhappy with a preacher that you didn't go back. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them. None of them have to happen unto us. For in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. By definition, as the Bible defines it, this is not the second coming of Christ. By Bible definition, the ends of the world are the people who don't know our God. They are not going to read the book of our God. They are going to read the lives of the people who claim to know our God. And if we don't represent Him as we should, they are not listening. That's the admonition. I'm glad to be part of a church that does all they can to reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. One bad life can do so much damage to that testimony. I don't want it to be mine. I hope you don't want it to be yours. May the Lord help us live by this Bible. Well, I don't feel like it. There's something here at stake a lot bigger than how you feel. Well, I just don't want to do that. There's a lot more at stake here than what you want to do or don't want to do. The entire testimony of Jesus Christ is tied to our testimony. And our testimonies be a good one. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father.